logistics for those who like an outline. Um, Paul's answer to the metaphysics for the philosophers of Athens is uh, 1724 through 28. His answer to axiology is 1729 and 30. His answer to their false epistemology is 1730. And his answer to their perversions of logic is 1731. Let us pray. Open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in thy law. Oh God, thank you that we could trust you. Thank you that we could trust you for the grace for me to speak the truth in love and for the grace, Lord, for all, Lord, to understand and be changed by, Lord, salvifically or sanctifying, Lord. Help us, God, be empowered by the truth and do great things for the glory of Christ and for the good of your church, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Socrates. We've all heard of Socrates. I don't know many people who haven't heard of Socrates. Uh, He was born in Athens. He died in Athens. He uh, was in the military and he was a great warrior, history says. He even... Uh, risked his life to rescue one of the greatest commanders in Greece during a crazy uh, experience, and he saved his life, history says. He uh, became a humble philosopher, humble from the world's perspective, of course. We're not talking Christian humility, nor Old Testament Christian humility. They didn't have the Septuagint yet, and as it seems, we don't have any record of uh, Socrates and his number one disciple, Plato, or his number one disciple, Aristotle, having read the word of God. Socrates mentions God, and he actually, uh, his own profession was trusting in God, but I don't think it was the God of the Bible from all we can discern from his writings. Uh, He actually lived, as I said, a humble life in his latter years, just teaching men, not wanting to take any pay. Uh, His family, his wife didn't appreciate that, three children. (laughs) And he he walked around in a robe, bare feet, he was a big, fat head with a puggy nose. It talks bulgy eyes. It really talks a lot about how ugly he was for whatever reason. I guess that was very against Greek culture. You wanted to be physically beauty and perfect. and But that wasn't Socrates. And he was very uh, humble in the sense that he'd always just ask questions, the Socratic method. His method was to ask questions, and he'd ask others questions. And he was said to have received an, a divine oracle uh, from Delphi. Again, gods and temples we wouldn't uh, understand nor believe in. And uh, he was said that he was the wisest man, but he 
wouldn't believe that voice. So his uh, character was to ask questions to everybody else. And the conclusion he came to asking questions of everybody else is uh, they didn't know anything either. (laughs) The world's philosophy can't answer the questions. The world's philosophy can't answer the questions. I've studied it. uh, Many have studied it. And many more will continue to study it. And the world's philosophy and psychology and uh, science. And they just can't answer the questions. Well, uh, Paul is going to deal with that here. Paul is going to deal with all the questions that need to be asked and answered. And it's interesting because Athens, where he comes to, is the intellectual capital of the world. This is where Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, and going down through the years, all the intelligent of the intelligence went to study and to perfect their craft. Well, Paul's here now. And he first goes to the Jews... As always, then he goes to the marketplace, and that's where he runs in to the Epicurean philosophers and the Stoics. Epicureans believed in uh, seeking pleasure and uh, hedonists, right? Many of that, much of that nowadays. And then the Stoics, as you know what Stoic philosophy is, is very ritualistic, very um, respect. And uh, it's a works salvation thing. Well, there were tons of philosophers around Paul. And they all just wanted to ask questions and share their opinions. So we're going to pick it up. This is Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, We're going to pick it up from when Paul uh, started preaching in the open market, and they said to him, uh, he was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19, then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about listening to the latest ideas. The Areopagus. Now we got to stop here. Uh, the Areopagus is what Socrates stood before before he was executed because he wouldn't change his views on appreciating and respecting the many gods, polytheistic little gods that were created, so to speak, by the Greeks. And Socrates was teaching the youth, uh, and they didn't, they didn't appreciate it, so he was executed. He had to drink, Socrates had to drink hemlock. But that wasn't until he stood before the rulers, the judges, the professors, the philosophers, the teachers, the religious And that's what the Areopagus is. It's the court. It's the Supreme Court of Athens. 
So Paul's now standing in the same place, in a sense, that Socrates was. Socrates was martyred for his belief. Now Paul is standing before the Areopagus. And he's going to have to unpack what he believes about metaphysics, the study of the causality and attributes and purpose of all things. He's going to have to unpack what he believes about axiology, the study of the value of things. Under that is ethics. And under that is aesthetics. Value of art and beauty. The value of morality. He's going to have to unpack what he believes about epistemology, the study of knowledge, and how you validate that knowledge as truth. Huh. That's a fascinating one to me. Epistemology is the study of knowledge and how you validate that knowledge as truth. And then, of course, logic. The four major components of philosophy. Now, philosophy isn't evil, guys, in itself. Phileo, love, Sophia, wisdom. It's the love of wisdom. So in one sense, we are all philosophers. Hopefully we are biblical philosophers. Amen? Amen. So Paul's now standing before the Supreme Court of the intelligence of the intelligent in the world. Let's see where he goes. 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So he acknowledges their religious dispositions, right? And I thought it was fascinating as I was studying for this. I read that where man's intelligence abounds the most, idolatry abounds the most. Huh. Where human intelligence, human wisdom abounds the most, that's where idolatry abounds the most. Think about it. Our colleges, our profound professors, they are pumping out in depth the lies of evolution and worshiping created things. So Paul runs into the intelligent of the intelligence and the idolatry at its full peak. And he says, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Just in case they missed one, they threw up this sign. Wow. Then Paul says, now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. Now, if we don't stop right there and think a little bit about who he's talking to, we're not going to grasp that. He's talking to the men of the Areopagus in Athens, Greece, who stem from the line of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, and Alexander the Great, who think They're the most intelligent of the intelligent of the world. 
Paul says, what you're ignorant of, I'm going to proclaim to you. And I want to tell you, I want to remind you of something. No matter who you come up against out there, even if it's some great professor of the highest level one college in the nation, if he's not preaching Christ, he's a fool. If he's not preaching the Bible and the truth of the word of God, he knows very, very little compared to you. Praise the Lord that in Christ is in all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Paul's going to unpack a little taste of that for us. In 24, he says, here is my metaphysics, my answer to all your metaphysics. The study of the causality and the attributes and the purpose of all things. Study of reality. He says, the God who made the world... And everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And does not live in temples built by hands. You can't box him in. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He's infinitely self-sufficient. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. He's the creator He's the sustainer. He's the grace giver for your functioning and preserving and breathing. Wow. Paul says he's the Lord. He lifts up his name. He's the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life. And breath and everything else from one man. He made every nation of men. That they should inhabit the whole earth. Paul goes back to the oneness of humanity. From one man, Adam. He made every nation on the earth. There's one race, guys. It's called what? The human race. There, if we're speaking strictly, there's not African Americans or Chinese Americans or Mexican Americans. They're, what, Americans. If they're Americans, can I get an amen? The whole idea, I just want to touch on this. The whole idea of racism is a hatred and evil of the heart. And is nowhere pleasing to God in any way. Because somebody has a different level of melanin in their skin, people are going to be hateful. Let's pray for those who are participating in such wickedness. Pray that they would be saved. And pray that those who are Christian, who are ignorant in great measure, would repent and see things as God sees them. Paul goes on, through one man, he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times 
set for them. God has set out your days. He's determined them. They're set. And the exact places where they should live. Wow! When I'm in the jail, and I'm sharing this verse with people, I say, guys, who determined how long you're going to live? God did. Who determined that you'd be in jail right now, living here? God did. That's helpful to know that God is sovereign. It humbles you. So Paul educates them in sharing that God is creator. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the preserver. He's the governor. He determined your days and he governs where you're going to live. He determined the time set for them and the exact place where they should live. And then he tells you why God did this. Look at here. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Huh. God is a savior by nature. <laughs> He's a merciful God. He longs to save sinners. He longs to be merciful to people. He does not take pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. It's not what he delights in, it is simply. He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him by his grace, right? Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. God is sustaining us and giving us right now our life and breath and everything else. Because he created us. And we're all children of God in a created sense, Paul says. And he's quoting one of their philosophers. Actually, two of their philosophers. It's fascinating because they spoke what is true. Paul quotes uh, Eponidas and Erastus. Though he is not far from each one of us. That's a quote from Eponidas. And then he says, as one of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Even some of the poets came to the conclusion that we were created in the image of God. And he's our creative father. Now I want to make a distinction here. Uh, in a relational saving sense... You're no longer, if you're not a believer, a child of God. Yeah, he's still your creative father, but not your saving father. As a matter of fact, when Adam fell, the Bible says Satan took the throne of this world and became the spiritual father of all fallen mankind. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil. Whether you know it or not, if you're not born again believer, Satan has been influencing your mind since youth and wants you to be led astray from God. Wants you to go with the things of the flesh. Wants you to pursue everything that is pleasurable apart from God. 
However, God created you. God sustains you. God governs you. God wants to save you. God wants to save you. God wants to save us. Those of us who have been saved, God wants to bring us all the way to glory. Jesus said, I want those you have given me, Father, to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. So Paul's answer to the metaphysical question, what's the cause of all things? What, what are their attributes? Do they really exist? Is, does, is reality really a concept or is it just a, a mystical vision of our imaginations? Paul says, look, this is a real creation. God made it. He sustains it. He's keeping it together. He's governing it. He's Lord. For the purpose of you coming to him and, and being saved, you need to seek him. How about epistemology? Excuse me. How about axiology? The study of the value of things. And under that is ethics and aesthetics. The value of art and those type of things. And the value of morals. Paul addresses that now. He says, verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, he affirms that creative truth. We are God's offspring. We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. They're making their own gods. They're perverting the art, the creation of God, and trying to make it a god. Paul says, you've used aesthetics at least art in that realm, in a great, sinful, wicked way. Should not think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. Before Christ's resurrection, God overlooked the, the great ignorance of mankind in a greater degree. In other words, after the resurrection, there's a far greater degree of accountability for idolatry, for worshiping and putting your trust in a Savior who is not Jesus Christ. Look what it says. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now, he commands all people everywhere to repent. The value of morals is infinitely important. The value of choosing right is infinitely important. Because God is an unlimited, infinite means unlimited. God is an unlimited, glorious, wise, holy, just creator and judge. So any sin against him is unlimited in its offense, infinite. So Paul says, God commands all people everywhere to repent. We've all become idolaters. We've all worshipped, not just statues, but the creation of God. Whether it be our computers, our video games, whether it be TV, whether it be, uh, doesn't matter, money, work. 
pleasure. God commands all people everywhere to repent, turn from their sin, acknowledge it before God. Turn from it to Him. Turn from the wrath and holy hatred of God to the mercy and love and kindness of God. So now that Paul straightens out their axiology, he wants to correct their epistemology, just going off the wisdom of men. By the way, Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. <laughs> Don't let somebody take you captive. Now Paul's going to let them know where his wisdom comes from. God's commands. God's word. God's holy clear, authoritative, inspired, infallible revelation. God's commands, God's word. God commands all people everywhere to repent. And everything he said has been revealed through the word of God. He says your epistemology, your knowledge and study of knowledge, and the, how to prove your knowledge that you know is true, If it isn't resting on this, it's not a sure thing. True science teachers say science can't prove anything. Observable, testable, repeatable. And they're changing their ideas all the time. But God's word never changes. God's word is absolute. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. As a matter of fact, Paul says the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. This is the instrument of God's saving power right here. God's word. Paul goes on to straighten out their logic. God commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. By the man he has appointed. It's very logical. That. Since you feel guilty. Every time you do evil. God's word is written on your heart. And he's going to judge you. He created you. And he's going to judge you. And you can't get past that. Eternity of God is written on the heart of mankind. The law of God is written on the heart of mankind. They have a conscience that convicts them. No one can say, I never felt guilty. No one can say, I didn't know that was wrong. Even the most pagan cultures or tribes know that it's wicked to murder. It's wicked to commit adultery. It's wicked to steal. They know that. They have their own law systems that... Discipline people for that and judge. It's logical that we will all stand before God. But that's not what Paul says. For he has set a day when he, yes God, the Father, will judge the world with justice. Look what it says here. By the man he has appointed. Hmm. 
The man. Definite article. It's very logical since the Son of God became the man in his incarnation through the womb of the Virgin Mary, right? He suffered. He agonized. He submitted. He bled. He died for us. He paid the price for our sins. He fulfilled the law by subjecting himself to complete obedience. He died by being falsely accused, wickedly accused, unjustly judged, mocked and tortured and ridiculed, and allowed himself to experience the whole thing. He showed him he didn't have to. They came to him. He said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus. He said, I am. And they went, boom! The whole load of them fell on the ground. And then he said, who do you say that I am? They said, Jesus. <laughs> he let him take him. He let him crucify him. Because on that cross, he paid the price for our sins. All the punishment that you deserve because of your sins were credited to Jesus' spiritual bank account. And he suffered hell for him, the wrath of God on the cross for six hours. Fully satisfying God's offended justice if you will trust in him with a repentant faith. If you trust in Jesus today, all of his perfectly righteous, obedient life through that faith can be credited to your spiritual bank account. And God will look at you as if you obeyed the whole law because you're trusting in Jesus and his righteousness. It's a transaction, friends. God takes your sin, Jesus pays for it on the cross, and he gives you Christ's righteousness, his obedience through faith. So you could be seen as both not guilty, Jesus paid for your sins, and righteous, Jesus obeyed the law for you. Because you're trusting in Jesus. Not because you're trusting in self anymore. You have no good works. Not before God. Not on your own. Nor I, nor anybody else. It's logical that we will stand before God. And if we reject his one and only son, we will be damned forever. God commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Do the research. Jesus rose. Great journalists have challenged that. Atheists have challenged that. And after doing the research, some have gloriously come to the Lord Jesus Christ and are serving him today because they found out the truth of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All the answers to metaphysics, the study of the cause and attributes and purpose of all things are answered that God created and sustains and has glorious goals for all his purposes. And your joy, guys. He wants you to come to him. All the answers to axiology, the study of the value of things, morals and art and whatever the creation of God is answered in God's word, guys. The value of morals is great and high when it's through faith and in love. The only thing that counts is faith. 
manifesting itself in love, Galatians 5, 6. And the, the heavens declare the glory of God. God wants you to glorify him through his creation and enjoy it for his glory. The value and the proper epistemology, epistemology guys, the study of knowledge and how to verify that knowledge as truth is so clear. It's right here in the word. Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. The study of logic and how the mind perceives and judges and reasons and meditates and presents a method for your own learning and others is just a great compliment to understand the word of God. It's all right here. It's all logical. He's a God of order. Let us today not be afraid to share the good news with those who think they're the elite of the elite because they need Christ and they know very little compared to you. What did Paul say? After all his learning and education and studies, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you (laughs) except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, dear saints, just keep going deeper with Christ. Keep getting to know him more. How can you love him and trust him if you don't know him more? Amen? Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, help me who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.